Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. One thing about the Word of God, the Word of God teaches us about Jesus and about how to get to heaven. That's the most important thing of all. But also the Word of God teaches us practical things about how we are supposed to live right here and now. Do you know God cares about how we live? He's very much invested and interested in how we live and how we carry out life. Therefore, in the Word of God, it gives us all kinds of principles and truths that help us to know how we ought to live. And that's what the book of James, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of James. James is one of the the letters that were written by one of the leaders of the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And James is a very practical book. It's about practical Christianity. How do you live each day? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to respond? We've been focusing in the book of James on this aspect of practical Christianity. Today, here in James chapter 5, we're going to talk about something very important when it talks about how do you manage your wealth? How do you manage wealth? For those of us who live in the United States of America... We have to realize that we are wealthy, amen? If you don't think you're wealthy, you just need to travel around the world a little bit and understand what the vast majority of the world lives in and what they have, and you'll realize that if you live in America, you are wealthy. So how do we manage our wealth, and what should we do, and how do we handle all those things? Well, I want to give you a few principles to start with, principles in the Word of God, and then we'll get into this passage in James chapter 5. So if you have your pen or pencil, I want you to write down these principles that are found in the Word of God that are the basis of everything that James is going to be saying today about how to manage wealth. Here's the first of those principles. Write this down. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. That's recorded in Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much is required. Now that means that if you have been blessed in this world with material possessions, that the more material possessions that you have been blessed by, the more you are being held accountable for. You got that? The more that God gives you, the more he gives to you, to whom much is given, much is required. He is going to hold us accountable. So the more you have, the more and the stricter judgments you're going to have in relationship to what you do with your wealth. Here's the second thing. Jesus does not say that it is a sin to be rich. All right? It's not a sin to be rich. Matter of fact, the, the Bible actually encourages the acquiring of wealth. All right? It's acquired, it, it, is, it says you need to acquire. You think about Abraham. Abraham was a rich man. Many of the people in the, Old, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, they were rich people. They were wealthy people. So there's nothing wrong with the fact that you have wealth or that you have riches. Here's the third thing. You write this down. But the Bible opposes whenever we would gain our wealth by illegal or unethical matter. Okay? In other words... It's okay to have riches, but we don't need to gain our riches or our wealth by something that's illegal or unethical. Illegal is against the law. Unethical, it's not the way you ought to live and the way you ought to treat people. And the Bible is specifically uh, interested in how we live and how we gain our wealth. This passage today is going to deal with that. 
Here's the fourth principle. The Bible is not opposed to savings or getting something invested to where you make money off of it through interest. It's not, it's not opposed to that. Matter of fact, if you remember the story of the talents, you remember whenever the landowner came back with the story of the talents and he, and he looked at the one who had buried his treasure and he said, what, well, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Why didn't you at least put it in the bank and make interest? The Bible is not opposed to savings or the fact that we would have interest or that we would make investment. But the Bible is opposed to hoarding. Right? The Bible is very much opposed to hoarding. We'll talk about that. Number five, we may possess many things, but we don't own anything. We may possess it, but we don't own it. Who owns it? God. God owns everything. All right? God owns everything, and he just lets us manage it. He lets us be a steward of it. He places into our care his possessions to say, to see what we will do with his possessions. But he owns everything. Number six, store up your treasures in heaven. Remember what Jesus said? That's in Matthew's gospel, chapter 7, verses 19 to 21. He said, store up your treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasures are, your what? Your heart will be also. Wherever you put your treasures, it's where your heart's going to be. Okay? So make sure you're putting your treasures in heaven so your heart will be in heaven. The final principle that sets the basis of what we're talking about today is this. There is not a direct correlation between wealth and happiness. Okay? You hear that? There is no direct correlation between wealth and happiness. You can meet some of the wealthiest people in the world who are miserable, who are dissatisfied, discontented, and generally do not have a good outlook in life. They are wealthy. But then you can also go to places like I was in Haiti, and you can encounter people who have absolutely nothing except they're so happy and joyful and fun. I remember when I was in Haiti, I looked around and I said, man, do these people not realize how poverty stricken they are it doesn't matter because happiness and wealth are not correlated you can be as poor and still happy and you can be wealthy and still sad those things don't have a direct correlation we need to get that in our heart and mind we need to teach that to our children too don't we sometimes our children say, well if you'll just get me that i'll be happier <laughs> if you'll let me have this i'll be happier there is no direct correlation between what you have and the happiness in your heart and in your life. Now, let's deal with a passage. Those are the principles that are taught in the Word of God that set the basis of what James is going to say. Now, remember, James is a letter written to Christians. It's written to the church. It's not written to lost people. It's about how Christians ought to live. And here, obviously, whenever he begins to write this, there are some people in his church or in this church that have gained wealth. But he's concerned about how they obtained it And what they're doing with their wealth. There in chapter 5 of verse 1 of James. Listen to what it says. Come now. If you'll notice up a few verses. Verse 13 of chapter 4. It's the exact same phrase. Come now. Come now who you who say that tomorrow and tomorrow do such a thing. Remember last week? He's not talking to everybody. He says but there's some of you who need to listen to this. Some of you this is applying to. 
And he says there in verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver had rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting and has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, he's dealing with a group of people who are believers who ought to live in right relationship to their wealth. And obviously, some of them have become wealthy. They've rich. They're rich. They've accumulated things. But whenever he finds out how they've accumulated them and what they're doing with them, he's very much concerned. And he's basically saying, listen, Jesus cares about what you do. He cares about how he lives. So he's going to take these principles that we just talked about, that Jesus taught us, and he's going to apply all those to the lives of these people who are now rich. And he's helping them to understand how they ought to live. How they ought to live. Here's the first thing he says to them. Verse 1, it says, You rich, weep and howl for the miseries which are coming upon you. Now that's kind of a strange thing to say. But this is what he's basically saying. Listen, if you're not living in right relationship to your wealth, if you're not managing your things in a manner that pleases God, here's the first thing. Know this. You're going to give an account before God. You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to be standing there, and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you manage what I gave you? How did you obtain what you had? How did you live in relationship to the world and what you possess? And he says, many of you are going to weep that day, and many of you are going to have miseries that day, because either you haven't obtained it in the right way, or you're not using it in the right way that honors God. And know this, that God is going to hold you accountable for it to those whom much has been given, much is what? It's required. When God has blessed, he's going to hold us to a higher standard of what we do with what we have. And and he's basically saying this, you need to come around, you need to come up here, and let's talk about what you're doing so that one day, whenever you stand before Almighty God, you won't have to be concerned about that or worried about that because he's going to hold you accountable and you have a reason to weep because you haven't done things that are pleasing to him. Every person is going to give an accounting. Do you realize that you're going to give an account of what you have? Not just the words that you say, not just what you do in life, but your very possessions and the wealth that God's given to you, you're going to have to give an account of that which he blessed you with. Because remember, you don't own anything. He owns everything, and he just gives it to you for you to manage, right? And therefore, one day, you're going to not manage it anymore, and it's going to return back into him, and he's going to hold you accountable for what you did. So the first thing he says, God is going to hold you accountable. You're going to have to give an accounting for God. But there's another thing. 
He also says this in relationship to that verse. He said, weep and howl for the miseries which are coming upon you. Coming upon you. He's talking about that there's sometimes a discipline that happens in our life, not out there in heaven one day, not out there when we stand before God one day, but there can be a discipline that comes into our life by God as we walk and as we live right here on this earth. And he was telling the people of God right there, these Jews who were there in that church. James, remember, was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Remember, in relationship, he's telling them in relationship to that, he says, wait a minute, you can have miseries and you can have reason of weeping right here and right now in this world because God can discipline you because you're not doing the right thing. Now, that may have fallen on deaf ears. James preached this and wrote this in about 45 to 48 A.D., Okay, get that in your mind. 45 to 48 A.D., the church is young, and he's writing this down, telling the church what they ought to do. And he says, if you don't get things right, and if you don't manage things right, there can be a discipline that happens in this life right here and now. And and what was their problem? Well, one of their problems is how they obtained their wealth. The other problem was they were hoarding what they had. They were just accumulating more and more for them. They were saving it up for what they call the last day in case they might need it or what we would call the rainy day. They're here watching over what they've got, accumulating their wealth, and not caring about the people around them and not treating people fairly. And he says, if you keep doing that, there's going to be a discipline that comes into your life. Now, I'm sure that fell on deaf ears as as much preaching can fall on deaf ears today. Today, when we talk about the warnings that judgment can come. But that was in 45 to 48 AD, and you got to get the picture in the mind. They're accumulating their wealth, they're accumulating, they're storing up their wealth. They, they got it for the rainy day. But then do you remember what happens in 70 AD? Remember what happened in 70 AD? The Romans came in, totally wiped out Jerusalem. Not one stone was left on top of the other in the temple. They wiped out temple. They, the Jews, the zealots, ended up going to Masada until they were held siege there and eventually killed there. And, and do you know what happened to all the wealth of Jerusalem and all, no matter who they were? You know what happened to the wealth of Jews? It was all consumed. It was all taken. That which was gathered up, that which was held, that which was going to be for my rainy day, in a moment of time was wiped out. Can I tell you something? Your wealth and my wealth can be wiped out in a moment of time. In a moment of time, you can have it, and it's no longer there. And he warned them. He said, you've got to remember God is holding you accountable. God is expecting you to do the right thing. And if you don't do the right thing, there can be judgment right here and now on this earth. And there will ultimately be judgment one day whenever you get to heaven because God's going to hold you responsible. Now, here's the question. Why is there such a judgment? What is the concern, what is the concern that James has about these rich believers? What have they done or what have they not done? Well, he puts it in the, in the, uh, in the picture of like a court case. There's a court case and, and here's that rich person and they're standing before the judge and now there are witnesses that are going to come and they're going to bear witness against this believer, against how they lived. He says there are witnesses that are coming. Let me show you the first witness. The first witness is found in verses 2 and 3. He says the witness is this, the corrosion of your wealth. You got that? Write that down. That will be the first witness against those who have possessions that God's given. If there is corrosion of your wealth. Look what it says there in verse 2. 
Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you. Do you hear that? The first witness against the misuse of riches is the corrosion of those riches. He says, that which you've had and that which you possess, you haven't taken care of it, you haven't managed it, it's just rotted. He he says, the garments that you have, those garments have been piled up and collected and saved, and now they have become moth-eaten. Many of you know, some of you older people know, there used to be cedar chests. Do you remember having a cedar chest? Why in the world does anybody have a cedar chest? Why do you want your clothes to smell like that? Because a cedar chest would keep what? Keep moths from eating it. Well, there's one other way to keep a moth from eating your clothes. You know how? Wear it. You know, I've never seen anybody walking around and saying, man, the moth are just eating my clothes right off of me. Have you seen that? That doesn't happen. The picture of moth-eating is the fact that they have way too much, more than they can ever use, more than they can ever manage. They're storing that up in a place so they can have it whenever they might need it, if they ever need it. And while it's being stored up, rather than being used for somebody else or given to somebody else, a blessing to somebody else, it has become moth-eating. And their wealth has rotted and their, their garments have become moth-eating. He says also, he says, your gold and silver have rusted. Now, we know this. Gold and silver do not rust, right? They do not rust, but you know what happens? Gold will darken. And if gold darkens, it loses its value. You know what happens to silver? Silver tarnishes, doesn't it? You have to keep it polished. I remember at one church, we were leaving there, and and they wanted to give us a going-away gift, and they gave us two silver, silver candlesticks. Don't ask me why in the world they gave me... I asked him, I said, could I trade those silver candlesticks in for something else? Because I don't want to have to polish them. I don't have to polish those things to make them pretty all the time. If you don't take care of them, they'll tarnish, won't they? Well, I mean, the fact of it is, he says, your gold has rusted, your silver, it's tarnished, it's turned dark. You haven't had time to manage it, to take care of it. In other words, you've accumulated so much, you cannot take care of what you have. Here's a little rule. If you've got more than you can take care of, you got too much. You hear me? If you've got more than you can take care of, you've got too much. And most of us have more than we can take care of. You know, you want another car? Okay, are you going to wash and wax that one too? You want a boat? You're going to wash and wax that? We just accumulate more and more stuff. Did you ever find yourself that, that the more you get, it seemed like you never have any time even to enjoy it because all you're doing is keeping it clean? Right? You say, well, I don't clean mine. Well, bless your heart. You're one of these. Because do you know what? God says this is his stuff. You ought to be taking care of it. You, you, you take care of his stuff. You might not take care of your stuff, but you take care of his stuff. And, and everything you have is his, so we're supposed to be managing it. And, and if we can't manage it and we can't take care of it and, we, and we're setting it and seeing it moth-eaten and, and we're seeing it rusted and we're seeing it rotted and we're seeing those things, we need to say, Lord, let me bless somebody else with some of this stuff. Let, let me help somebody else have something to take care of because I don't need all of those things. Now, 
I know that speaks close to our heart, doesn't it? How many of you have more room in your closet than you know what to do with? Uh Uh-oh. Don't put your heads down. Leave your head up. How many of you have to push all your clothes over so you can get that new thing in there? All right. We do, right? How How many of you have that your closets are all filled? How many of you have storage buildings because you can't get it all in the garage? Really? Think about it. Think about it. All of that stuff. All of those things. And he says this. Listen. If if you're not managing, you're not taking care of it, you don't have time to deal with it, then it's going to be a witness against you. You ever thought about that? That rusty thing that you have is going to be it. One day you're going to stand for God and that rusty thing is going to stand up there and be a witness against you. Oh, get away. The thing I'm not taking care of is going to get away. It's going to be a witness against you because there was the corrosion of your wealth. He says, though, that the corrosion of wealth is not just the fact there's going to be a witness against us one day. He said it will change your character. Look what it says there in verse 3. Don't miss it. They will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. Do you know what the attaining of wealth does? It can set your soul on fire. Not for the right thing, for the wrong thing. That means that the more we get, the more we want. And it can create a greedy heart within us. And a greedy heart is never satisfied and never contented. There's some other thing I need. And it can literally be a fire that consumes us. Why? Because whenever we have and whenever we hoard and when we hold and we have more, we just gather more and more and more. And it will consume us. He says this. He says, listen, it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now think about that. You remember one of the principles that we wrote down? What did Jesus teach us? Store up your treasure where? In heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said, but wait a minute. In this day, you are now, instead of storing up the treasures in heaven, you're storing up the treasures right here and right now that you're overseeing for that last day. You just keep accumulating more and accumulating more and accumulating more for that last day. Whenever that last day will be, you're accumulating more. Totally opposite of what Jesus taught us to do. Because where our treasures are, that's where our heart is. Do you want your heart to be in this world? Or do you want your heart to be in heaven? You want your thoughts and longing to be of this world? Or you want your longings to be in heaven? And so he says, don't, don't gather up and store up your treasures in this world. Store it up in heaven. Now here's the question. How do you store up treasures in heaven? You ever wondered about that? How do you store up treasures in heaven? I mean, is there a depository that you go to? It goes right to heaven. You know know how you store up treasures in heaven? You take what God has given you. You take what God, whatever material possession God's given you, and you turn around and you use it for his glory, for his honor, and to fulfill his purposes. That can be giving to him, it can be giving to others, it can be whatever. But you turn around and you take those possessions, those things, and you give them for his service, his kingdom, and that immediately becomes treasure of heaven. The treasure of heaven that you give, that he would use it, that he would bless somebody else with it, 
it becomes the treasure of heaven. And what did he tell us? Put your treasure in heaven. The first witness against these rich, the first witness is this, the corrosion of your wealth. It's not been taken care of. It's not been managed well. It will bear witness against you one day that you have not managed well the wealth that I blessed you with. Here's the second witness, though. The second witness is found in verse 4. It's the corruption of your wealth. The corruption of your wealth. What, what does that mean? The corruption of how you gained your wealth. Listen to how it says they gained it. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you hear how he says that they gained their their wealth? They gained their wealth because they had people to come and work for them. And whenever the laborers came to work for them, instead of paying the labor, they withheld the labor's pay and kept it for themselves. They didn't pay the labor. That poor person who's out there working in those fields, they did not pay them. It says, for those who went to harvest, those who were supposed to go harvest for you, they went out in the fields and they harvested and did exactly what they're supposed to do. You have withheld the pay for those who have harvested. In other words, the reason that you've accumulated wealth is because you've practiced illegal and unethical practices in relationship to those people that work for you. You think God cares about how we treat people who work for us? He absolutely does. He cares about what we do and how we treat those people. And he says, you are going to have a witness against you from the corruption of how you have obtained your wealth. You've obtained your wealth by cheating somebody else, by withholding what is rightfully theirs. And God takes that into great consideration. Let me show you something, something maybe you've never seen. Turn, hold your hand here for just a minute and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. I want you to see if you've ever heard this before. It's God's law about how to treat your laborers especially those who are poor. Listen to verse 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and sets his heart on it. So that he may not cry against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin to you. You know what God's law said? God's law said whenever you are, are, have somebody who's poor who's working for you and they work for you, you're not supposed to wait to the end of the week to pay them. You're supposed to pay them what? Before the sun sets. Because why? They're in such desperate need that they need their money so they can buy food for their family. And he says, if you withhold that, it's going to be a sin against God. 
of sin against those people. In order to see that, turn back a few pages in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 19. Let me show you something else. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. The wages of a hired man should not remain with you. They are his, for he has earned them. See, God cares about that poor person who is working and who's working for you. And go back to James. He says to those of James, he says, you haven't paid the laborers who mowed your field, and you've withheld it from them. It cries out against you. It's a witness against you. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. It is the fact that God knows that you have not done the right things in relationship to those people who work for you. Now, this imagery that he has right here is the imagery of Cain and Abel. You remember what happened with Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, and whenever Cain killed Abel, then God came and asked Cain. He says, Cain, where is your brother? And and he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Genesis, this this is what it said. It says, the blood of your brother cries out, cries out from the ground. The blood of your brother cries out as a witness against you. That's the same imagery as this. It says this, what? That the cry of those laborers, the cry of those harvesters, the cry of them who were not paid, it cries out against you and it will be a witness against you. And God knows all of that. He says not only those who witness the fact that you have withheld uh, the, the money from the laborers, He says also this, he says, because of your wealth, you control the courts. Because of your wealth, you control the courts. Listen to what he says there in verse 6. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. See, the truth of the matter is whenever the person who had the money and who had the power, they control the court system. And even though that poor man... He was righteous because he hadn't been paid. He was righteous and had a right standing in relationship to his position. He had no standing in the court. He had no standing in the court. Those people who had wealth, those who had money, those who had power, they controlled the courts, and therefore the righteous man, even though he was righteous, if he were poor, he got no listening to. He had no standing in the court. You've heard it said that there is the golden rule of the courts. The person who has the gold makes the rules. That could be true in our day too, isn't it? If somebody has enough money, sometimes they don't get nearly the penalty of somebody who's a poor person. And he says, he said, listen, well, your, your, your problem is not only are you withholding the wages, but whenever they would try to take you to court, they have no standing there. And so you have basically put to death the righteous man. You put to death that righteous man, and he cannot resist you in relationship to these things. So those two witnesses are against these people of wealth. The corruption, or the, the corrosion of 
the possessions and the corruption of how they obtained it. And what is the ruling? Here's the ruling. Look what it says in verse number 5. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the condemnation of wealth. Whenever there's the witness of the corruption, there's the corrosion and the witness of the corruption... That witness comes, and there's going to be a judgment made, and there's going to be the condemnation. And here's the first thing that's going to happen. The testimony is this. You have lived luxuriously, and you have lived wantonly or self-indulgent. Whatever you want, you got. Whatever you want, you got. That's going to be the testimony. Hey, this is the truth of your life. You lived in luxury. Here's the truth of your life. You had all you wanted abundantly, but that's not the goal. That's not the goal. That's not what we want to. That's not what we want God to say about us. We, want, we don't want God to say we live luxuriously and with want and pleasure. We want God to say you manage well. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Amen. But the condemnation is, He says, this this is going to be the testimony. Yes, you lived luxuriously. Yes, you were self indulgent. That's the testimony against you. And he says, where you think that you're doing well, notice what it says there in verse number five. It says, you're not doing as well as you think you are because what you have basically done is you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, you've heard about the fattened calf, right? The fattened calf. The fattened calf was a calf they put aside, fattened that calf up so that calf be ready for whenever there's going to be a party. Whenever there's going to be something, there's going to be. Do you know who's going to be the main dish at that party? The fattened calf, all right? Do you know when else they fattened up calves? They fattened up calves in order to offer them on the altar of sacrifice. Now, think about this. I, I, I raised cattle, and we always raised beef, or we raised our own beef. So, you know what you do whenever you're ready to raise, raise your beef or that you're going to put in the freezer? You don't leave them out in the pasture. That's grass-fed cattle. You put them in a pen, and you feed them grain. You feed them grain. They're called grain-fed beef. You've seen that at the the grocery store. Grain-fed beef makes it far more tender, far better marbling. All those things happen. But here's the thing. You just pour it to that calf. You give him all he can eat. There's always more there. Now, you don't usually do that to cattle because you can cause them to have problems with their hooves. And cause them to have where they can't, they can't walk because you give them too much protein, too much richness. But you don't care about a fattened calf because he's not going to go anywhere except to the slaughterhouse, all right? I've often thought about that. You, you see calves. I, I, I got a lot of humor in life anyway. You see two calves, and, and they're sitting there. One's a fattened calf sitting inside the pen and all the grain he wants. The other calf's out there on the outside, and she's not getting near that, that grain. And can't you imagine talking to each other? Can't you imagine communicating? And a little fattened calf says, man, you're not loved like I'm loved. Said, so do you see what they're treating you? They give you a little bit of grain, mostly grass. You're out there. You know, you're out there doing But look what they do to me. <laughs> they're giving me all I want. All I want. They, I am their prize. I am the greatest of all calves. I am blessed. That is until the trailer and the truck show up. On the day they haul them to the market. And that calf gives his life at slaughter. And the other calf is going to be a breeding stock 
and have a long, long life. That's basically the picture here. The picture that James is presenting to them is you look like, you think you got it made. You, you think you're up there and you can look at the other ones on the outside and say, look what I've got. Look, 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 look how they treat me. Look how I'm blessed. But if you don't handle your wealth right, correctly, if you don't handle it right, then you are going to be fattening your heart for slaughter. That's all you're doing. Fattening your heart for slaughter for that day of judgment. Here's the final thing he says there in verse 6. He says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, one of the meanings is we talked about that, the righteous man, the poor man in court. But there's another meaning for that righteous man. And that is that whenever you let wealth consume you and you let wealth dictate to you what you're going to do and it causes you to do corrupt things, it causes you to have corroded things, it, it causes you to face condemnation, you have put to death the righteous man in you. See, we know what we're supposed to do. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God helps us to know what we're supposed to do. And if you just let the Holy Spirit lead you, he'll tell you the right thing to do. You, don't, you might not even know where to find it in the Bible, but you'll just know this is the right thing. I, I, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to live. But if we let greed consume us, we let wealth manage us instead of us managing it, if we let those things happen, those things will become so dominant and controlling of our life that the righteous man we are gets silent. And you know the thing about us? Sometimes that Holy Spirit of God within us and that righteous spirit within us seems to give no resistance. Greed just takes over. Greed dominates. Materialism dominates. And James says, do not let that righteous man in you be made silent. Let that righteous person in you live out your life fully. I want to give you some two concluding truths if you'd write these down. Listen. If you mix character with wealth, it brings about much good. Hear that? If you will mix good character with wealth, it brings about much good. But if you mix self-indulgence with wealth, it brings about much sin. Please don't miss that. If you'll mix good character with wealth that God gives to you, it brings about much good. But if you have a self-indulgent, wanton lifestyle, and you mix that with wealth, it'll bring about much sin. That's what James is talking about. Final truth is this. It is good to have riches in your hand, provided they do not get into your heart. You hear that? It's a good thing to have riches and wealth in your hand, provided you don't let it get into your heart. Because if you ever let it get into your heart, it will consume you. It will be the driving force of your life. And God wants to bless all of us with wealth. God wants to bless us all of us to, to manage those things and to be pleasing, honor Him through those things. But I'm sure as, as a loving Heavenly Father, sometimes he's, he has to be a little bit reluctant when he sees some of us because he sees us and says, boy, my fear is 
If I do much for them, they're going to let that wealth get in their heart instead of their hands. And if it comes into our heart instead of our hands, it produces much sin. Much sin. God cares about how you manage life, manage wealth, and He's going to hold you responsible. Live well. Live responsibly. Live pleasing to God. Putting our treasure in heaven rather than on this earth. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.